Thank you for choosing to listen to this message. At Coastal, we believe in changing and enriching lives through the power of the Word. We pray that this message would be a blessing to you. Thank you, Rod. Just, um, well, it's a wonderful morning, isn't it? Welcome, welcome to sunny Florida. <laughs> You know, the folk up north always say, man, you guys don't know what cold is in Florida. Well, freezing is freezing, you know, <laughs> no matter where you are. Um, you, heard about the, you, you heard about the preacher that arrived to preach and he had a tank top on. And he got up there, he looked like, uh, what's it, Hulk Hogan? Yeah, looked like that, you know. And uh, one of the elders inquired and said, what's this with the, the tank top? He said, I just want to prove my right to bear arms. So, uh, seriously, just, um, you know, honour where honour is due. Just want to honour Rod and Val and the, and the elders here. But just particularly Rod and Val for their faithfulness. Um, you know, when you lead a team you take a headwind that most people don't know about, that many people will not know and will not see. Carol and I have seen the headwind that they've taken over the years. It has been our honor and our joy to stand with them. And Bev, just to you, just um, lovely memories of Steve. Where's Bev? Over there. Just lovely memories of Steve and just bless you as you've come today. And Our hearts are with you, as Rod said. Um, but you know, Carol and I prayed for Rod and Val as Steve went to be with the Lord. And we said, you know, crisis never asks, is this a convenient moment? But they had to drop what they were doing and with joy and honor go and stand with Bev at that moment. And it, it didn't ask, Rod, are you preparing the word for Sunday? Have you been through a traumatic week? How's your week looked at this point in time? Crisis comes when we least expect it. So I just want to honor Rod and Val. Just let's reach out to them. Father God, we pray anointing and blessing upon them. We thank you for the gift that you have placed within our midst. We ask you, Lord, to sustain them, refresh them, continue to allow them to hear that still small voice. And we ask that you, you rejuvenate them perpetually in your spirit. And we pray a hedge of protection about them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to speak to you today about living a kingdom effective life as we go into 2023. A kingdom effective life. And I think our somewhat boisterous praise and worship this morning underscored that. And Fred said an interesting thing. You know, every one of us in, in our lives as we move through life and we look around us and we look at the giftings around us, at the supposed giftings of people. We often look at those and, and that causes us sometimes to shrink back. But this morning I want to say that God's word says um, some amazing things about you. And Fred alluded to that this morning when he was leading worship. He said, sometimes we got to remind the enemy of who we are in Christ. And we're going to look at that this morning. I want to start off by reassuring you this morning. You, no matter who you are and, and what Maria prophesied 
Some of us are going through difficult patches. But no matter who you are or where you are, you are fearfully and wonderfully made by your wonderful creator this morning. The other thing I want to say to you, no matter what you've been through, no matter what you're going through, you are more than a conqueror. And I want to say the other thing, that no matter what stage of life you're at, whether you are 6 or 60 or 7 or 70 or plus, the truth of the matter is God, through his wonderful prophet Jeremiah, told you that he has a plan for your life. And that plan is of welfare. So today I want us to examine how to live in the fullness of those purposes in this coming year and beyond. The first thing I want to say to you is God will always call us to something bigger than ourselves. He'll always call us to something bigger than ourselves. Have you ever felt that the the, the task that you were facing was bigger than you and bigger than what you were capable of? Think how little David the shepherd boy must have felt when he took some supplies to the, supply, uh, to, to the front line to his brothers. And he'd been camping out with the sheep and he knew that there were some promises of God in his life. And suddenly he arrives in the battle line and the next minute he's placed in front of the champion warrior that has been taunting the armies of Israel. And he comes along and Saul says, try my outfit on, try my armor on. And he says, no, I don't need your armor. I don't need your sword. I'll put my trust in the power of the Lord. Isn't that incredible? And he comes with three little sling stones and gets verbally abused. Who knows that that's a moment bigger than you? You standing there with your little stones and this guy has frozen the armies of Israel for 40 days, morning and evening, and all of a sudden you're faced with the moment. Have you ever felt like that? I was looking at this series, The Chosen. If you haven't seen it, you must see it. I'm sure most of you have. But Carol and I were watching the other night. This is not part of my sermon, but uh, we're in trouble already. Do you remember that part where Jesus comes and he sits the disciples down and he says, I'm sending you out two by two. And they kind of look at each other and they say, us? Yeah, you. He says, but Lord, you said we're going to do this stuff? No, 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 no. He says, yes, you're going to do the stuff. But they said, but Lord, we don't have. We're not equipped. Who knows that's a moment bigger than you. And Carol and I looked at each other. We held hands and we sat on the couch. We said, you know what? We felt like this. You know, when God called me, sorry, Rod, can you? When God called me to carry this cross and bowl, which I've, I've now had the privilege of carrying in over 30 nations of the world. I didn't know what would transpire. And people said, folk will never let you wash their feet on the streets. I wasn't trying to make a doctrine. I was trying to make a prophetic statement of the servant love of Jesus. Well, we have washed tens of thousands of feet. And every time I get to a new nation and I wash a p- person's feet, Rod will tell you, The first person's feet I wash on the streets, I weep because I know that it's bigger than me. And God will call you to do the impossible. And I don't want you to be daunted. Thanks, Rod. I don't want you to be daunted by that. Caleb had to do the same thing. He came back and suddenly he says 
to Joshua, as I was then, so am I now. That was 40 years ago. I'm 84 now, 83 now, but I'm going to go in. And God says, that's fine. You finally got it. You've waited patiently for this call all these years. And he had to go in and face the giants. Who knows that that's a moment that's bigger than you. We, we, we spoke about Church of the Nations, our church family. Carol and I had the privilege of being part of the first church plant of Church of the Nations before it was even Church of the Nations in Africa. There are probably over 100 Church of the Nations churches now. But you know, after we'd been going a few years, and there were, I think, three churches in Church of the Nations, they came across a bumpy patch. And so Tony Fitzgerald said to me, won't you look after these churches for six months? So I said to Carol, well, you know, we, we know our calling, but we'll do it because the family needs us. So we said, all right, let's do our best for six months. So Carol and I did our best for six months, and after the six months, the three churches had grown to two. So I said to Carol, <laughs> I, I said to Carol, they definitely won't want us now. So Tony said, hey, mate, you know, can you just keep hanging in for a while longer, another six months? So I said to Carol, well, if we're going to do this, let's give it some vision. Let's give it our best shot and see what happens. Well, within five years, the, the, the two churches had grown to over 40, 40 churches. So God was good to us. And today we look back and Church of the Nations has an influence or a presence into f over 50 countries. And so I look back at that moment and I knew that there was something bigger than me. But Jesus has always said that he's coming back for a bride. He's not coming back for a club. He's not coming back for a school. He's not coming back for a meeting or an association or a committee. Jesus didn't come and uh, form a committee. He came and made 12 disciples. And that's why we don't place the emphasis on structure. We place the emphasis on relationship and discipleship and training so that we can equip ourselves, the saints, for the work of ministry. This has got nothing to do with the message I prepared. Does that preach? Okay. The second thing I want to say to you is God and the Holy Spirit are looking to partner with us. God and the Holy Spirit are looking to partner with us. Sometimes the Holy Spirit puts us together and orchestrates us in things that we never imagined. We were on the streets of Canterbury. You know, Canterbury is to the Episcopalians and the Anglican Church what Rome is to the Catholics. Why is this thing feeding back? What, 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 what that is to the Catholics. So somehow Carol and I had got split up and I had my cross and bowl and I was walking down. You, you're getting ahead of me. Thank you. Anyway, I told you sometimes it's the punchline of the story. So we... So, so we're on the street and Carol's going along and she meets this old man and his wife. And she says to the old man, my husband's in town. He may be coming this way. If you see him, won't you please speak to him because he, he's been all over the world telling people about Jesus. So this old man says, no, no, no. Don't bother us. We Catholics, we know our faith. And we know all of that stuff. We're not interested in what you have to say. And so he kind of shoes Carol along, gentle Carol, meek and mild, you know, she, she goes along. I come down half an hour later, not knowing that Carol's been down the street. And I bump this old man. 
And he was apparently in a different place to where Carol had met him. His wife had somehow moved along. And I start talking to him. He says to me, young man, which I was quite flattered at. <laughs> he says, do you have a wife with red hair? I said, yes. He said, she came by this way. She's a very nice lady, you know. I said, yes, I think so as well. That's why I married her. He says, she's a fine girl. And I started to share and tell him about Jesus. And there at that moment, he's praying to receive Jesus into his heart. You see, sometimes the Holy Spirit causes us to partner with things that we least expected. Now, last week, your wonderful, intrepid pastor, Rod, told you a story about when he walked with me in the desert along the skeleton coast and someone stole the barbecue. But what he failed to tell you was as we stood in that western gate of South Africa, it's a crucial place in history. It looked like there was going to be a bloodbath and we were doing a prophetic walk with the cross and bowl in the gates of the nation. And we got up to the western, northwesternmost gate, which is between Namibia and South Africa on the river. And as we got up to that place in the, uh, uh, on that river, we felt that there was a covenant victory that God was breaking. And so this happened, this next picture. That fuzzy hair is me. <laughs> that person with the cap is your dear Pastor Rod. That was a covenant moment in the history of our nation. As I sat between that bank on the other side, which is Namibia, the other nation, and we stood for our nation, and I washed his feet in that river. It was a precious covenant community moment, that. And the Bible says this in 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 13. It says, so when you pray in your private prayer language, don't hoard the experience for yourself. Pray for the insight and ability to bring others into that intimacy. God longs for us to come out of that place of intimacy and to share it with others. When we'd finished, a funny little aside took place, a cute little aside. There was a little village right there in the desert called Alexander Bay. And so we, we felt that we'd walked, you know, a, a huge distance through the desert, tens and tens of kilometers, or if not hundreds. And we were going to have a little celebration. And as we were going through this tiny village, lo and behold, in this place, we found an ice cream shop. And they were serving these soft serves, you know. So we said, this is the moment of celebration. Let's go into the ice cream shop. So we went along with uh, one or two other guys that were with us. And we all ordered these soft serves. And as I'm getting two or three, the ladies handing me two or three soft serves over the counter. As I look at her in her eyes, I said to her, ma'am, do you know Jesus? She said, no. I said, would you like to know Jesus? She said, I, I, I don't really know. I don't know him. And I began to tell her about Jesus with the ice creams 
running down my, my, my arms. And she gave her heart to Jesus. Ice creams in the air, in the shop, with all the clients standing around. We took the intimacy of that moment in the river and we carried it out of that intimate place to share it with others like the word we just read. And that's God's heart for us, to begin to partner. So we partnered with Carol and the Holy Spirit on the streets of Canterbury. And we partnered with Rod and the lady in the ice cream shop in the desert plain. And God wants us to all do with that. that, that. He wants us to work on that. And remember that God is looking to partner with you. No matter where you are today, no matter how ill-equipped you feel you are, God wants to partner with you. Then the next thing I want to say to you is, if the call doesn't frighten you, then you don't need faith. If the call doesn't frighten you, you don't need faith. Because God will call us to the point where we have to trust him, because if we can do it in our own strength, we actually don't need the faith. As I said, it wasn't easy for those first disciples to go through all of those things that they went through. And it should be the same with us. We are always on an exciting adventure with Jesus. Some years back, well, not not all that long ago, I was called and I came out of the place of prayer the one time. And God challenged me and I was considering how the early disciples went in Jerusalem, Judea, Sumeria, and the uttermost parts of the earth, and how they were commissioned to do that. And as I was praying, I felt the Lord say, I want you to do this. So, you know, it's kind of got a romantic lilt to it, you know, Jerusalem, Judea, Sumeria, and the uttermost parts. The Lord said, no, I physically want you to do that. I want you to walk those areas. Take the cross and bowl and go and be my witness in those places. And so I thought, well, Lord, where where should we start? So I looked and I thought, well, because it doesn't kind of fit together like it rolls off the tongue. You know, Jerusalem's one way, Samaria's north, and Judea is south. So I thought, well, let's start in the south and we'll, we'll work our way north. So I thought, well, where do we start? So I looked and I read the word and I studied the word And I thought, Hebron is a wonderful place. Boaz lived there. Ruth lived there. Wasn't that wonderful? Abraham and Isaac lived there. I thought, God, this is is getting better. David ruled for seven years from there. And I thought, goodness, Lord, Hebron's our place. And so eventually we got the team. And John Covey, who is our... Um, industrious pilot, he, he was with us and we had some other folk and off we start. The only thing that I didn't realize, uh, it wasn't like biblical times, just a few days before, CNN had filmed the bombing of Gaza from there, from Hebron. I didn't realize it was a Palestinian area, that you had to go through a big wall to get there. And that the Palestinians are 98% Muslim. And I thought, wow. And then the first morning we finally get to Hebron and we see this sign. The sign over here says, entrance for Israeli citizens is forbidden. 
dangerous to your lives. It's against Israeli law. And underneath there, it says something else about you possibly dying. <laughs> so I thought, hallelujah, this is Hebron. <laughs> and I'm standing there with my cross and bowl. And I'm seeing the Israeli guards in their towers with guns, and I'm not joking. And I thought, well, thank you, Lord. This is a good place to start. <laughs> Sometimes the vision has to frighten you to know that you're performing the purposes of God. And so we went along, and if you bring up the next picture, we eventually got to Bethlehem, which, you know, we know about the wise men and the shepherds, and we were told this morning that we've got two wise men that came from the west to the east here. <laughs> we met that dear old man, and there's John with his smart big hat, and we prayed with that old man on the streets of Bethlehem, and he gave his heart to Jesus. Because when your vision begins to frighten you, God begins to make a way. And it's wonderful. And God did other th wonderful things while we were there. If you bring the next picture up, it would be wonderful. Thank you. So we happened to go and have the privilege of praying with that lady in the green there who just happened to be the mayor of Bethlehem. And we discovered that she was a Christian in a chauvinistic, male, Muslim-dominated world. You talk about kingdom. God planted her there, and it was wonderful. And then next to the Garden of Gethsemane, we, we found some nuns that were there, and they really needed encouragement. And there we were able to pray with them. John even had a matching outfit with the nuns. <laughs> and God is so good. So I want to say this to you, that next time... You are frightened. You're in a good place. Because it's at the, that moment when we are about our Father's business that we know that we need God. A couple of years ago, most of you know that I was called to walk the way. I discovered that in 597, there was a man by the name of St. Augustine who landed in Kent in England. He landed at a place called Thanet Island. And one of our churches that relates to us is not far from there. And they said, have you not heard about this big cross that we have here? And people come this way. It's a very famous way. He said, the first believers entered England through there with Augustine. They were the pilgrims. And they went to Canterbury. And King Ethelbert established them in Canterbury. They had favor. And we started to see this thing, and then we heard that what had happened was Becket had been assassinated in Canterbury, and the Christians rose up from Winchester in their anger and began to march because he'd been assassinated because he wouldn't compromise with King Henry II. He wouldn't compromise the church, and he wouldn't compromise his position. And so the righteous anger of the Christians marched toward Canterbury. And when I heard this, I became convicted because I held it in my heart for nearly two years, 18 months. 
And it says over there in, in Jeremiah 18, suddenly I read this one day. It says, my people have forgotten me. They burn incense to worthless gods. They have stumbled from their ways, from the ancient paths to walk in bypaths, not on the highways. And God said to me, Britain has done this as a nation. They've come on bypaths, not on the ancient path that God had prepared for them. And so at that point, I had to begin to walk. And so there was a whole lot of hoopla and we had this big team and everybody was excited and we got there. And you know what happened just before I got there? I suddenly thought, God, I've been all over the world. I've been in terrorist places. I've been in wars. I've been in Muslim countries. But Lord, here's sweet little England. And I'm terrified to come here. Because the British are known to be stiff upper-lipped, very private, and people who'd been there said, man, we went there with the Olympics. No one would speak to us about Jesus. You'll, you know, nothing will happen there. And I thought, God, you know, they always say it's not how you begin, it's how you finish. I'm closer to the finish line than I am to the, the, the start line. This could collapse. I could look like Kathy's clown. And so I was frightened to go to England. And we decided, we, we discovered that there's a cross erected in honor of the first place where Augustine preached his first sermon on British soil. It was right near where we started. And I said, we're going to get there tomorrow morning and we're going to celebrate. It says, it says, Augustine preached here with great joy. And the next year... Over 10,000 believers came to the Lord in England. That's revival by any standard. So I said, we're going to go and preach there as we enter England. And we went there and we preached. And the morning we got there, just as we were gathering with all the folk beforehand, two young folk come riding past on their bicycles. And I started talking to them. I said, why don't you join us? Just stay here. I said, you live around here? No, no. We actually put our bicycles on the train in London, and we came down here for the day. And we just thought we'd bring our bikes on the train and we'd ride around. So I said, well, stay with us. They said, sure. So we start and we go and we share the word. And all of a sudden, this guy's a research professor at one of the universities in some bio angle that he was researching. And I was speaking to her. She said, I'm a top producer for BBC World. And the program that she produced, I happened to look at at breakfast time every morning. And so we start talking. And as we do the call, he says, yes, I'd love to receive Jesus. And if you bring the picture up, there's Carol washing her feet. And there's me washing his feet. You see, the truth of the matter is, if the call doesn't frighten you, then you don't need faith. And I want to encourage you, no matter how daunting it is, God will always come through. And yet we can never be familiar with the things of God. Because if we get familiar, then we don't need God and we don't need faith. It's our total dependence on Him. Then I want to say, your life will never be truly effective without intimacy. Your life, we can have all these other things, but your life will never 
be truly effective without intimacy. Just recently, the father began to speak to me from Haggai chapter 1 and verse 5. And he said this. He said, now, therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You've sown much, but you harvest little. Consider your ways. He goes on to state that we live in frenzied activity, most of us, much of the time. And yet we live in this futility uh, that leads to minimal fruit. Verse 6b says this, you eat, but there's not enough to be satisfied. You drink, but there's not enough to become drunk. You put on clothing, but no one is warm enough. He who earns, earns wages and puts it into a purse with holes. The Lord is imploring us to consider our ways. And God began to work so deeply in me. He said, I'm going to challenge you in every area of your life. And he said, I'm starting with intimacy. And I really feel that as God has been working in my heart in this process, even through my illness last year, God began to exercise me so much so that he's shown me so much. I think there may be another book in this. There may be another book. And I'm, there's the title, Consider Your Ways. And he said, start with in- intimacy. I want to say that every major thing that the Lord has ever called me to has come out of the intimate place. Walking the way, which the pilgrim's way that I spoke about, walking the great commission, all of that came out of the place of intimacy. And the father began to inquire a few things of me. He firstly said, if you really want to come to intimacy, how hungry are you? Then he said, how desperate are you for my presence, for my intimacy? How far are you prepared to truly be intimate with me? Do the things that break my heart break yours? Rod will tell you, wherever we've ever gone, I've said the day we don't get up and have open hands and broken hearts, we may as well pack up and go home. And daily, we need to walk along. You know, when God first called me to the road, we were pastoring in Johannesburg, and it took 18 months before I picked up the cross and bowl and began to move out not knowing that whole cities would come to revival, not knowing that we would wash the feet of heads of state and prostitutes and lepers. But the truth of the matter is, Carol will tell you, I would be watching the news and I would just start weeping. I would drive my car home from the church office and I would just start weeping in the car. And I I wasn't given to weeping before that. But God began to break my heart. And we've got to get out of bed every morning with a determination to know what his heart is for us. The other way that we spell intimacy is time and wait. Time and waiting. You see, the truth of the matter is in our instant world, we we click buttons all the time. We push on Google and we push on Instagram and we push on here and there, but there are no shortcuts to the intimacy with God. There's only two ways that I've just alluded to, time and waiting on the Holy Spirit. The Prince of Preachers was Charles Spurgeon, and he said this. He said, faith is the road, but communion with Jesus is the well from which pilgrims drink. 
we want to get to that right place with Jesus, let's drink from that well. And the truth of the matter is, it's easy to presume that intimacy is something that we automatically move in just because we love Jesus or we pray. Yet compromise and undealt with sin will also rob us from the fullness of God's plan for our lives. It's easy to come to church and look good and look smart and look sweet and look righteous. But it's what we do in the closet that God is interested to. It's those secret sins that we harbor that we think that nobody knows, but the Father knows. Because he says, even before you utter the words out of your mouth, I know what you're going to say. And he's calling us to that place of intimacy. And yet you might say to yourself, sometimes, why can't I hear the voice? I've, I've got a friend who's a bird, avid bird watcher. And I once said to him, he, he often would say to me, can you hear that bird? And I said, no, I can't hear any bird. Then I listen and I can hear the bird. And he said to me, I said, why can't I hear the birds like you do? He said to me, it's like the Holy Spirit. Your ear has to be tuned to hear the Holy Spirit. And intimacy requires the footsteps of Jesus. 1 John 2.5 says this, but the love of God will be perfected within the one who obeys God's word. We can be sure that we've truly come to live in intimacy with God, not just by saying, I'm intimate with God, but by walking in footsteps of Jesus. Now, I've already alluded to how I walked through Jerusalem and Judea and all of those places, and most of us probably will never be called to do that. But those footsteps of Jesus are walking in step with Jesus. There was a wonderful old British preacher called Sangster, William Sangster. And he, he posed this question. He said, are my most unpremeditated thoughts the thoughts of Jesus? The psalmist said, when I lie on my bed at night, you are there. How about us? We can live great exploits for the Lord. We can do all of these things, but you know what? We can only walk in step with Jesus every day. And if we're truly going to do those things, then we need to walk in the fullness of those things that God has called us to. So let me pull this together. God will always call us to something bigger than ourselves. God and the Holy Spirit are looking to partner with us and with others. We can't do it in our own strength. Your life will never be truly effective without intimacy. And we need to walk in step with Jesus and be led by the Holy Spirit. I pray that this is going to be a wonderful year Amen. of effectiveness and influence in the kingdom and the Holy Spirit. And that you will truly know what it is to dwell in the inner sanctum with Jesus. The word of God says that when we walk in that place, I will give you the hidden wealth of secret places. He longs to commune with you. And yet it starts in truly knowing him. We can know about him. It says there, don't think that just because we know him that we are intimate with him. It's truly knowing him, but receiving him in the fullness 
of what he has destined us for. God bless you. Let us pray.